produced by Indie Media and available from indiemedia.com.au or your favourite podcast provider. This is The Local Update, a podcast looking at local issues, events and personalities from around the Bega Valley. G'day, I'm Indy Wood. Thank you so much for your company today. And on this week's episode, we'll catch up with Scott Herring. Scott was instrumental in the setup of the Triangle Tool Library, a tool library servicing the Cabago, Bermagui and Tilba region, which has been set up in the aftermath of the summer bushfires. We'll catch up with Scott Herring later in the program, right here on The Local Update. As we do each week, we'll be joined by my regular guest, Graham Farham. Living high on the world, Brando is there. The girls gather around to see the sugar cane man. High on the world, spin your wheel, take a photo with me. I'm the sugar cane man. In last week's episode, Graham read from a recently released collection of Indigenous poems, and he was reading a piece by local writer Bruce Pascoe. It just so happens that in the days following that reading, Graham bumped into Bruce in the street here in Bega. With that in mind, Graham returns this week to delve a little deeper into the content of Bruce's poem and look at a few other pieces from that same book. Hello, I'm speaking from Guayu for All Times, a collection of First Nations poems commissioned by Red Room Poetry edited by Janine Lean, um, Dr Janine Lean, I discovered. This is a Magabala book. It was first published in 2020 and I was lucky enough to be able to borrow it brand new from the Bega Valley Shire Library. It's 821.4 GUWA and you could um, you could certainly reserve this book and that would mean I'd have to return it, but I'm still working my way through it. Um, I thought it might be... Um, Good to read a little bit from the foreword today by by Dr Janine Lane. It starts with a um, small piece from Lorna Munro, who's in here as well. We might get back to her. This is from Dreaming Track. It was commissioned by Red Room Poetry in 2015. Hopefulness still blooms and remains strong, claps a beat, breaks through layers of questions we ask in the stillness of contemplation and stay reminded that beauty still resides here after 228 years in silence. Trying to break the silence now. Kawayu, a Wiradjuri word, means still and yet and for all times. Guayu means all times are inseparable, no time is ever over, and all times are unfinished. Guayu for all times releases the arrested times of the country's first peoples, held captive in the colonial calendar, and frees kidnapped memories, held hostage to false claims of settlement, nationhood, sovereignty and justice. In all First Nations language, there is a word for all times. And now there is a time for these words. Gwayu breaks the silence Munro's poem speaks of 
to unleash the beauty of First Nation words that have been and always will be here. I'll just give you a couple of short biographies of um, two gentlemen who are in this book of poetry. I'll give them both at the same time. Jacob Morris is a Gumea Darawal Naganda of the Ewan Murring from the southeast coast of New South Wales. Jacob's great-grandmother, Lena Chapman, was one of the last Darawal speakers from the south coast. She kept language alive within her family. Warren Morris, deceased, Jacob's uncle and mentor, handed down the responsibility of language to him and his cousin, Joel Deves. Jacob also teaches language and dance at Nara East Public School through his own business, Nagandamara. Joel Deves is a Gumia, Durwal man, and Duramba, Durga descendant from the Yuan people. Joel began learning language from his uncle and with his cousin Jacob, set a path on which he hasn't looked back. From the learning of his language, Joel's passion grew for continuing and returning to culture, not just for him, but for his family as well. In his spare time, Joel is with family, speaking and restoring the Gumawa Darawal language with Jacob Morris and Adrian Webster, or walking on Ewan country with his cousins, continuing their connection to the land just as their old people did. Joel has been commissioned for the Poetry in First Languages program for Red Room Poetry. Now, because this um, work was commissioned for language, it is given um, this poem, Bangang Kundu, Old Tree, written partially in Gumia Durawal, with interpretations by Joel. This is poetry in first languages. Now, I'm not going to try to give you the language, but I will give you the poetry. I see the people live at peace. I see the people share their meat. I heard the singing on the land that made the people strong and dance. I, I heard the stories told again and again. I remember the country's always the same. I see the boats come down towards the camp. I see other people steal the land. I heard the falling. I heard the fighting. I remember crying. I see the people go through the pain. I see the people become strong again. I see the country always the same. Hopefully one day we'll have some people who can actually speak this language and other, and other of the 600 languages that are um, recorded and known here in Australia. This is Jacob Morris, Ban Magandinjenjang, My Old People Done, written in Gumia Durawal, with interpretations by Jacob. This is only a short one, but I'm still not going to try the language, but I will give you the interpretation. This is page 126. I travel country like my old people done. I see the country like my old people done. 
I burn country like my old people done. I sing country like my old people done. I dance for country like my old people done. I love country like my old people done. I had the pleasure to have a chat with Bruce Pascoe just yesterday. I don't mind um, the isolation that we're sort of living in down here. You're likely to bump into any local any time, which is great. And it was good to see Bruce. Um, I hadn't um, spoken to him since I'd first met him at the University of Wollongong campus here in Bega, where he'd come with a couple of other Aboriginal people to give us an insight into their writing and to encourage other Aboriginal people to write. It was very well attended. It was good. I mentioned to him that I'd seen the painting, the portrait in the Shirley Hannan National Portrait Award the other day. I said, now how did that go, Bruce? And he said, well, the yams have come on real good, Graham. And I went, great, that's really pleasing. Um, a native food, uh, you don't need pesticides. It's um, come through a long time. I found some up on the um, track from Eden up into the mountains. We meant to be having bogong moths arrive shortly and the people used to walk that way and they'd cultivate the yams on the way. I mentioned, I've done one of your poems, Bruce, and he said, which one? And I said, Kulukulup. He responded with Kulukulup, which I thought was lovely. Then he introduced me to a lady friend that he was with, Leslie, and said, well, she writes poetry as well. And I said, well, please send us some. We'd love to see that. In Kulukulup, he makes an ironic um, thank you to Baron Sir Ferdinand Jacob Heinrich von Müller. And I thought it only fair that I give a little bit of a biography of Müller. It's from the Dictionary of Famous Australians by Anne Atkinson. It's now in an Unwood book, 1992. I'm not sure whether it's in the library. This one was in my own collection. He was born in 1825 and lived till 1896. He was a botanist, an explorer and designer of the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, which are rather beautiful if you ever get a chance to be down there and enjoy those gardens. Lovely. One of my children got lost there one day. That was exciting. The paths wind all in and out. He was born in Germany. Von Müller qualified in pharmacy at Kiel University in 1846 and arrived in Australia in 1847 and then established a pharmacist's business in Melbourne. Botany was his main interest, however. He had already earned an international reputation for his published papers and large private collection of botanical specimens. In 1857, he was appointed public botanist of Victoria and director of the Melbourne Botanic Gardens. He established the gardens as a centre for botanical science and also initiated the building of the National Herbarium, Melbourne. 
To search for the missing explorer Leichhardt, whom we might get a mention of later, von Müller joined Gregory's expedition, which travelled overland from the Northern Territory to the east coast of Queensland and explored the Victoria River and Arnhem Land. He was also an active member of the committee which set up Burke and Will's expedition. His extensive travels provided material for his seven-volume Flora Australiensis in collaboration with George Bentham of the Kew Herbarium London and his Eucalyptographica, which described and illustrated more than 100 species of eucalypt. We now know that there's more than 300 species. It was von Müller who introduced the blue gum into America, Europe and Africa, with sometimes disastrous consequences for those countries. That's me as an aside. His career suffered a setback in 1873 when he was replaced as director of the Melbourne Gardens by a man who was prepared to satisfy the popular taste for a more showy, recreational public amenity. Von Müller was honoured by the British and French governments, made a baron by the King of Württemberg in 1871 and received knighthoods from Spain and Portugal. Well, Portugal certainly did get um, eucalypts from here and in their last fires it was rather devastating. They'd been um, planted as a cash crop but um, Portugal is famous most for its cork trees and when the eucalypts went up so did a lot of the cork trees. There's a little bit of a connection between von Müller and down here, Cyril Pearl, I think, mentions in Five Men Vanished, the Bermagui mystery, that Carl Schneider was a bit of a botanist and he was with Lamont Young and another man who was never found, although it was thought that he'd been seen afterwards on a train somewhere or other. But Carl Schneider was in touch with von Müller who'd set up the National Herbarium down there in Melbourne. And he sent down there a pressed specimen of a kind of heath from the coast around here. The only trouble is nobody's ever discovered where it was and still hasn't been found. The only thing that is um, known is that there's a specimen down there in the herbarium. Graham Farham is a member of Bega's Historical Society and through them is associated with the Bega Pioneers Museum. We catch up with Graham every week to find out what little tidbit of history he's found that's helped Bega become the community that it is today. things about losing your house in a fire is the constant laundry list of items that you realise suddenly you no longer have. And when you're in a community like Cabago, where a whole host of houses in the region have been affected, that becomes even harder. Turning around each day, thinking that you're going to get started again and realising that you no longer have the tools that you need to do the rebuild. 
In the years leading up to the Cabargo bushfire, Scott Herring had been interested in the idea of community ownership and sharing items around the region. So the bushfire, as traumatic as it was, became a great instigator for developing a community tool library. The library, now situated on the main street of Cabargo, holds a whole host of tools and items that you might use around your yard. I caught up with Scott Herring recently to find out more about the setup. The idea of, the, of, a, of a shared resource system was something that was sort of in my mind for the last couple of years. I've always thought that sharing economy was kind of cool and that you know being able to pull resources just made a lot of sense. And that was probably never going to happen. And then the fires came along and um, it just seemed quite timely and um, and and the need for it became so much more apparent. So many people lost all their equipment. God knows how many hundreds of households around around the, the South Coast region, you know, um, all of a sudden with no tools to do anything. And um, I think a lot of people are really struggling with the um, with the how of, you know, recovery and, and how do they just do the most basic of, of jobs um, to, to get back on their feet. Um, so we had some community catch-up meetings, some, some community meetings in Cabago, um, and some of the questions there were sort of how do we how do we help each other? How do we sort of get back on our feet together and and um, aid recovery? And the the idea of the tool library was raised and um, it gained support. And you know it was it was raised at the right time and for the right reasons and the right people came along and and um, yeah we got it happening. It took a little while but we got it happening. So how does it work? We got kickstarted by the guys that supplied a co-op in Cabago, but also uh, Mitre 10 and a few other uh, other companies. They're called the Independent Hardware Group, and they they donated a bunch of, of gear for us, and that that basically got us started with things to loan. Um, we we just started making it available basically, um, and you know it was started on a very um, rudimentary paper basis where you know we just hand you something and off you go and yeah bring it back next week, and we've soon progressed to a little bit you know we've realised that there's a lot more to it. It's um you know you'd like to run it in a very simple way, but um, there's actually a lot of you know inventory management and um, volunteer management and customer customer lists and memberships and all sorts of stuff, insurances and all that. We've become a um, Incorporated group. We charge a membership for a, for a year of forty dollars, and that membership just helps cover costs. You know, it helps cover our insurance and the the fees we pay for the website and um, the the inventory management stuff that we've started using, and you know, replacement bits for tools here and there, and and all the things that you need to just keep this thing rolling. And um, so we charge a membership of forty dollars, and then that means you basically can turn up and borrow whatever we've got available, um, and we keep trying to increase our inventory and uh, the list of stuff we've got in the library and um, always looking for new new things that people need in the area. Um, so we're building that all the time. That must be a, a bit of a, an endless list at the moment. There'd be people looking around, you know, where their house used to be or where their sheds used to be going, God, where do we start? What What do we need first? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess 10 months later, people are sort of starting to, gain the um, focus they need to, to actually get stuck in a project. So I think, it, you know, it sounds like a long time, 10 months, but I, I think in the area um, there's still a lot of people who are really only just getting it together to, to focus on what they really need to do and they're, and they're starting to realise that, yeah, they need more fencing gear or they need a, you know, a whacker packer or they need a, um, you know, some... Um, 
a compound mitosaur for for building the chook shed or whatever. It's um, uh, you know, there's there's a few items that have been pretty popular, like the laser level, and um, you know, uh, we've had pressure washers for people cleaning down their their places or whatever slabs or whatever pre pre reconstruction. Um, so yeah, it is an endless list, and I think it will always evolve. Um, in terms of what people need and we just ask for feedback from people about, you know, what is it you really need at the moment and we try and keep a bit of a updated list of what we're chasing and, and um, yeah, track stuff down in various different ways. We've got some money available that we can, we can purchase essential items um, and we're getting a lot of donations as well. So how many members at the moment? About 80. That's d- doing pretty well then, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I reckon that's not bad for essentially sort of four months of operation. Um, yeah, so there's been a lot of local support, like a heap of local support. And, um, you know, we've even had people from outside the area just call up and say, I want to just join up as a member because we really believe in what you're doing and here's my 40 bucks and call me a member. And, um, yeah, so that's that's really hard thing when you hear of that, when you hear of support from outside as well. Does Cabago have a men's shed? No, but there's one at Bermagui and there's one in Korma. So, th- so this could essentially become something like that in in over time. Yeah, look, the men's shed movement is um, you know um, very well established, and they sort of do their they do their thing really well. And um, we there there is crossover, um, but we 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 do have certain differences in in sort of our. Um, goals and our approaches, I guess. Um, so we haven't had a lot of crossover with the the Beger and the uh, sorry, or Beger and uh, Bermagui and Cormo men's sheds. Um, but actually, we we have formed a couple of a uh, good relationship with a, a men's shed in Sydney, Willoughby Men's Shed, and they've been um, sort of you know they get a lot of donations, being a you know fairly wealthy sort of urban area. They get a lot of stuff dropped on their doorstep, and they've got multiples of, of quite a bit of stuff, and so they've been sifting through what they've got and sending on down their um their extras which has been brilliant um but yeah the men's shed is a is a great organization and and we're looking forward to to developing more of a relationship with them as we go on because there's definitely overlap there yeah yeah have you been surprised by um what perhaps has been requested or what you've managed to receive as far as tools that have arrived um no i think um you know the the issue sometimes is with you know receiving donations i think we what we've realized is we've got two streams and one stream is um acquiring high value um rarely used items for rent you know for essentially for rental um and those items are items that you wouldn't usually be able to afford for a single project um so hundreds of dollars up sort of thing yeah. um, and then the second stream that we've realized we have to engage with at the moment is that the, we've sort of we're acting as a bit of a hub for redistribution of smaller tools and hand tools um, so small power tools and hand tools and and you know even fittings and bits and pieces that come along from donations and um, you know there's there's still a need for that sort of thing um, and we've been essentially redistributing that stuff for free to people as it comes in and and um, you know, if people around the area are in need of, of small hand tools and power tools, then, you know, we can we can help out. 
It's not just tools that you would use on renos or house building, though, is it? You've got all kinds of stuff, garden maintenance tools and all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. So we don't want to be restricted just to, you know, um, building, certainly. Um, I think, uh, you know, horticulture and gardening is a is a really important part of uh, business and leisure. And we're looking to expand our range of stuff that we can help out, um, you know, market gardens, for example. We really would like to develop our um, inventory that would that can be used by market gardeners. So, um, you know, cultivators and um, planters, uh, seeders. Um, even things like seed trays that the local seed savers could use. Um, you know, they might not be able to afford, um, you know, uh, seed sieves, like a really good set. So if we had a good set of seed sieves, then that could be useful. So, yeah, we are surprised by some of the things that people come up and say, hey, we could really use one of these. But um, I think the idea of the tool library is that it's we want to support community endeavour and we want to support um, you know, a really wide range of um, community um, recovery efforts. And that means, um, you know, not just building but gardening and, and um, you know, getting getting your business back on track if you need it and um, all sorts of stuff. Recovery is a good word. I, I imagine there must be an element of um, a friendly ear with any of these kind of services, hey, people wanting to just talk about how they're feeling post-major event. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You know, like, um, yeah, we've had some emotional moments down the tool library, to be honest, you know. Like, people come down and, and they do, they tell their story. And it's because they're, they're triggered, they come down and they, I think a lot of people in this um, post-fire recovery still get really, it chokes people up when they, when help is offered. Um, mm. And, yeah, to have people come down and, and see that this resource is there for them and that's, you know, yeah, it, it, it makes some people emotional. And, and also, I think just having sympathetic people around, it's a great place to come down and, you know, talk about your story and why, you know, not everyone wants to explain, but some people come down and they just go, oh, I had one of these in my place and I could really use one and I lost everything. And then it just starts, you know, the conversation starts. And um, I think everyone down at the tool library is, is very sympathetic to that and really understands and, um, you know, uh, that's part of community um, community involvement, I think, and being part of a community project is truly connecting with, with the people you're dealing with as well and understanding where they're at. I guess we should talk about um, where it is and when it's available and that sort of stuff. What can you tell me? Yeah, so uh, we're located down back behind the Cabago Co-op, just in the main street of Cabago there. And um, at the moment, we're only open on Friday and Saturday mornings. So Saturday, 8 to 11, and then on Friday, we're 9 to 12. Um, so we're looking, we're expanding our volunteer base. Like we're getting a bit more of a, a hand on and we're getting a you know a bit more of a grip on the systems we need. And as that's happening, we will open up on a, a Tuesday or a Wednesday as well, uh, you know, for a morning. So it'd be good to have a midweek morning when people decide they need a something or other on a Tuesday morning for the rest of the week, they can get one rather than wait until Friday. So, yeah, that's an important step that we're working towards and we're getting a few new volunteers in that we're sort of training up in systems and the processes that we're, we've decided work best. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're aiming at expanding. So people can obviously come down on Friday or Saturday if they're interested in getting involved and helping you where they can. Is there anywhere else that they can find info, website, social media? 
Yeah, yeah. We've got a website, which is uh, trianglelibrary.org.au. Um, and uh, we've also got a Facebook page, Triangle Tool Library Facebook page. So we um, we post, you know, if we get new gear or things are happening, um, we post on the Facebook page. And, um, yeah, the website, we're working towards an inventory where you will be able to book the item you need uh, over the website and reserve that item for the sort of, you know, for the following week or whatever. Other than volunteers, is there anything at the moment that you guys are looking for that someone might happen to have around that they can give to the library? One of the things that we, we're hoping to get hold of soon are some of those, um, the, the picket drivers, you know, the powered picket yep. drivers. Yep. Um, that's, our, that's our next item on the purchase list and probably the second one after that is a demolition saw so that if people are sort of trying to, um, you know, do um, wet saw work. Um, and I think in the future we'll be looking at getting things like a, um, you know, a tile, a good tile saw or a brick saw for when people are sort of starting their rebuild. Um, that'll definitely be a handy thing as well. Scott Herring is one of the founders of the Triangle Tool Library based in the main street of Cubago. The library currently open on Fridays and Saturdays. You'll find links to their website at indymedia.com.au. listening to The Local Update, a podcast looking at local issues, events and personalities from around the Beaker Valley. You can find this episode and previous episodes at indymedia.com.au. You can also subscribe to the podcast using your favourite podcast provider. A huge thank you goes to Scott Herring for his time this week. And of course, my regular guest is Graham Farham from the Bigger Historical Society and Bigger Pioneers Museum. Indie Media wishes to pay respects to the Yuan people as the traditional owners of the lands from which we broadcast and pay respects to elders, past, present and emerging. Don't forget you can also catch the local update on 93.7 Edge FM every Sunday morning from 11am. For now though, that's me for another week. Catch you again next time. Bye now.